When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holler at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Everyone deserves a chance in the driver's seat. For GM and Revolt, that means leading the way on the road to an all-electric future and envisioning a world with zero crashes, zero tailpipe emissions, and zero congestion. GM's committed to making EVs accessible for everybody. That means you too. So what are you waiting for? GM's got the keys. You grab the wheel. Learn more about an all-electric future and the 000 initiative at GM.com. GM, everybody in. What's up, y'all? It's your boy David with Blackwell Renaissance, and I'm here today to tell you guys about Anchor. If you haven't heard of Anchor, it's the best place to make a podcast. Anchor is a free app that has creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast straight from your phone. Anchor also distributes your podcast across all major platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and many others. You can also make money on your podcast with Anchor with no minimum listenership. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So if you're looking to get started on your own podcast, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. You know the rules of the game. Yeah. You know the rules of the game. I don't care what color. Can you make me a hundred million? Let's talk money. Let's talk. Can you make me that? If you can't make me that, I won't talk to you. You, you shouldn't even get this tape. Hey. I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my line unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily, all I want is dubs, you know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper, all I know is broad money marathon. Do five years of this and be a millionaire and go on do what I want to do, have kids, go live my chip and joy in a game life out here in Texas or struggle for next week. The choice is yours. What's up guys? Welcome to the Black Wealth Renaissance Podcast. Our goal of this podcast is to normalize black wealth and share helpful resources and tips we believe will be useful in attaining and maintaining generational wealth. Please feel free to rate and comment on our podcast. We would love to hear all feedback you have. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Black Wolf Renaissance Podcast. Your boy, David Bella, one-fourth of the Black Wolf Renaissance. Checking in my co-host, fellas. How y'all feeling? What up, what up, what up? It's your boy, Jalen, man. Another quarter of the Black Wolf Renaissance. Feeling good, feeling great, man. Feeling like the holidays and the festive spirit, man. It's good. Good to be home. But, hey, we're going to get this popping. Yes, sir. What's good with everybody? It's your boy, Kelly, here. Checking in, checking in. Drove in the other day. Kicking it with my boy, Dave. Have a great Christmas. Just glad to be here. Have a great podcast, man. Yo. Yes, indeed. I'm glad to be COVID-free, man. That's just all my whole thing. I keep telling y'all. <laughs> hey, y'all, stay safe in these streets. But, yeah, y'all, once again, man, we got another great episode planned for y'all today. We got... But uh, before I get into it, before I introduce my brother, I got to do it. I got to ask y'all, 
Can y'all make sure to like, subscribe, rate, comment, give us some feedback. Let us know what you want to listen to. Let us know who you're trying to hear from. Let us know what you want to learn more about. Yeah. We want to make sure we're giving y'all the best content possible. So y'all just give us that feedback. We always appreciate it and we love y'all. All right. Now, with that out of the way, as I was saying, we got another great episode with another great guest for y'all. This week's episode, we got our brother. He is a real estate entrepreneur, a serial entrepreneur, really. Mm-hmm. I check killing it, helping people learn how to invest and showing them he a published author. Like, man, my brother really got a lot going on. Man, yeah. yeah. Got clothing line. <laughs> my brother yeah. rolling out supplements. But yeah, we got our brother Ogie Maydu, aka Money Maydu. Maydu, how you living, bro? I'm doing pretty well. Excited to be on the podcast. You know, it's about time. Y'all, y'all, y'all been blowing up on your kid, your boy. So. Oh man, it's man. long. It, 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 it has been long overdue, bro. Yes, indeed. So maybe, bro, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. To get this thing started, we're gonna start how we always do. We just want to ask you, bro. Can you like get an audience an introduction to yourself <laughs> and how you found your way into entrepreneurship? Yeah, for sure. So. Once again, appreciate being on the podcast. Name is uh, go by uh, Money Madu. Born and raised in Houston, Texas. Pretty much been in Texas all of my life. Went to, you know, I'm a first generation Nigerian American. So my parents came down here in the 1980s. And um, yeah, firstborn. So, you know, already had to force to grow up early. I had to go through the whole deal of, you know, at least with my parents, it was more so education-based everything versus things with sports. So unfortunately, I didn't get to experience, you know, the competitive life as far as like going with a team sport deal, but I was able to utilize that into into obviously other ways. And obviously I've turned out just fine, but I know that, you know, going out in the future when I do have my own kids, I'll probably live vicariously through them. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so first generation Nigerian-American, went to college in San Antonio. Got my electrical engineering degree from the U- University of Texas at San Antonio. While I was there, and I will get into it deeper, but while I was there, I did an internship at Toyota Manufacturing Plant. That's where they make all the mm-hmm. trucks for Toyota. And um, that was pretty much when I started investing in the stock market. Now, this was in 2010. And so from there, kind of like just saved up 3K, bought me a mutual fund. Uh, it was one of, it was a Vanguard Wellington fund. And from there, I mean, obviously, I, you know, if, you, if people understand the timeline, investing anything in 2010, that was like the perfect time to get back into the market. So it didn't matter what you put your money in. For the most part, that thing was going up like crazy. So <laughs> pick the perfect time to kind of get started in investing in the stock market. Didn't put too much, you know, that was a co-op. So, you know, that was a temporary position. So, you know, I put money in there while I was working there. But past that, you know, I didn't really have a job to continuously put money in there. So the thing was, I just continued, like, I just let the thing ride. And, you know, the whole time it continued to go up. So once I graduated from college, I was working out in West Texas as a project engineer and, um, you know, making decent money doing that. But a year into working was when I ended up purchasing my first real estate property. And uh, that's kind of how I fell into this whole deal of, you know, investing in real estate because three months later after I purchased this home just to live in, I ended up getting a new job where I'm leaving the city. And uh, 
luckily, you know, I wasn't going to be able to sell it in, you know, that quick of a time frame. But my boss, his wife was a realtor. She knew someone that was just starting their property management company. She said the house could rent out for X amount. It was more than my, uh, what I was, you know, my rent or my mortgage was. So since then I've been cashing out on this. So that's kind of how I got, you know, kind of like stumbled into that. And um, from there was working in the oil industry, got my MBA in uh, 2017, 2019. I ended up switching over and into more of a business commercial development role. And uh, from there, pretty much the week before my birthday, 2019, they ended up letting me go and uh, went full-fledged entrepreneurship from there. And it was crazy because, you know, my whole intent was to kind of like quit February of this year, just because that was my bonuses. I was going to take my bonuses and say, all right, cool, I'm good. Because I, I already made like a thing, a kind of like thing in my head that before 30 or by 30, I have to get out the corporate world and figure this thing out. So um, yeah, they, they kind of expedited the timeline by a few months. But overall, like, even though it happened, it was kind of like, it helped me out. You know, they got me, they, in the sense, they gave me a service package. So I kind of got my bonus early in the sense. <laughs> and yeah, from there, it's been, it's been a crazy, crazy road. And obviously, I would kind of like discuss more into it. But yeah, that's where I'm at now. Hey, man, that's a that's a damn good start and a wild ride to it, man. I definitely want to kind of peel back some layers and go take a little bit deeper in there. Absolutely. And I think one of the first things you talked about was just with your upbringing, bro, and like you being a first generation Nigerian. And I kind of want to talk about how was that different versus some of your friends that you kind of like had? How was life a little bit different? Like you said, you didn't get the chance to play sports. So obviously they made you focus more on education. Do you think that kind of gave you more of a competitive edge in the classroom? Um, no. I think it's just for, for me, I don't know, I'm a different, I feel like I'm a different breed, right? So education was always going to be important regardless, right? And I just think that going forward, like my dad, he was a middle school math teacher. And so like, I was always good with math. But as far as grades goes, I never was like, I would say maybe once I got into middle school, grades wasn't the the biggest of priority to me. I was like, it's my, I did fairly okay, but nothing to where it's like, if it was lower than the A, then, you know, you get in trouble kind of thing. But I always like to say book and street smart kind of deal. So mm-hmm. like. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah. Or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities, from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. I didn't like to study. I don't know, the whole school structure for me, that's not how I learned. Everything that you see me do now, everything that you kind of like are seeing now, 
that's just from my natural curiosity, me learning the stuff, not me having to memorize something from a test. You know what I mean? So, but yeah, I mean, obviously my parents were uh, very, very strict. And, but I feel like it allowed me to, in a sense, kind of learn how to <laughs> navigate this whole realm of, you know, if I need to get something done, I have to figure out a way. It's not going to be because of my, uh, my parents. So, yeah, I mean, and then on top of that, obviously not really playing sports, what, you know, I wasn't able to interact as much with kids, like outside of the whole, you know, once school's done, you know, after mm-hmm. school programs and stuff like that. But, you know, the closest thing I did with that, I was in a marching band. So I didn't have to, you know, do practice to say, like, for example, in the high school, I didn't go to the, the school I was zoned to, which was like five minutes down the street. I went to the one that was all the way across town, which was considered like a magnet school, right? So my parents were going to drive all the way down there to pick me up to go, you know, this is just a whole, yeah. whole deal. So the closest thing I did was uh, the marching band. So I was able to, you know, go to all the football games and, and things of that nature. So that was, that was pretty cool. But yeah, I mean, not to say I didn't enjoy, you know, my time, you know, in high school or college or anything like that. But I just know that kind of like how I grew up and how, I would want it for my kids to be completely different and, you know, have that nice little mixture of a blend to make sure that happens too. Cause I believe support is very important mm-hmm. and, uh, you know, support is extremely huge. And if you could give that to a kid that can make the world of difference. Mm. I can I back you up on that one, my brother. I'm interested, bro. So like <laughs> whenever you were on your first internship, what was it that made you like, want to invest in the stock market was that something you talked about with your family was it like just something like that or all right so with investing literally that's all me like it wasn't me like consulting with someone like mm-hmm. this is something that you know it piqued my interest whenever so the toyota internship was my second kind of like uh internship i was working at a aerospace company my first go around with the toyota one um that's kind of like when i was kind of like exposed to like co-workers investing in a retirement plan and stuff like that. So, you know, I'm looking at that, not really knowing what I'm doing, but I'm always about taking action. So once I did a little bit of research, looked at Vanguard, I think at the time, I don't know if that was true or maybe I just misread it, but it was like, you to invest in this mutual fund, you need to buy in at 3K. So I saved up 3K and I purchased that, that, that Wellington fund. And uh, from there, like, it wasn't like I did a, a massive amount of research. I kind of just probably looked like at the last five years, I saw I was like trending upwards. I was like, all right, bet. let me just go ahead and put the money in this. And then from there, you know, I did a little bit more research and, and you know, to get more um, invested in what I was doing. But in the beginning, it was more so just taking that action, taking that step to do so. Luckily for me, it was it was a mutual fund instead of one stock. So like with a mutual fund, it's more so of a slow growth, which is for the most part, always going to go up, you know, a stop, it, it could immediately, you know, went down or whatever the case was, but investing with me, that's never really been a concern. Like the failure part of things. It's always, how can I go about gaining and learning more? And, you know, that's part of the reason why even not with just stocks, but in real estate in general, I can say I've touched a lot of different factors in real estate because I'm always interested in seeing for myself how how this all works. So yeah, I mean, with the internship, I want to say it's probably through coworkers seeing them talk about retirement accounts and being not uh, you know interested in googling Vanguard account and <laughs> going from there. 
But that's smart that you had that uh, foresight to say, let me go see what they're actually talking about, man. Let me let me see what did you kind of hear about them taking hits, taking losses because of around that time? Or were they kind of talking about, yo, I'm about to get in and make this bread? Well, you know what? I honestly can't tell. So it's hard to tell because, like, I don't think I heard anything about losses or anything like that. But I do remember this from that time period. Whenever I, you know, invested in that, around the same time, Netflix was doing the whole thing where they did the first price increase. And I don't know if y'all remember when Netflix went that, did that first price increase, everyone went ballistic, their stock dropped. Like it got to a point where Netflix actually recanted their initial price increase and it went back to normal for a little bit. Mm-hmm. So that would have been like the perfect time to actually get back into, you know, Netflix. You know, you, you, obviously y'all see what the price is today. But yeah, like I specifically remember that happening around that time frame where Netflix had made that mistake of increasing those prices and customers were not happy at all. Like people were leaving, canceling their stuff. And shoot, even for me, I don't think was I maybe I was invested in Netflix, but or like use Netflix. But yeah, that was just crazy. But I don't think I never heard anything negative about investing in the stock market. I don't think that would have deterred me. But yeah. Hmm. So I kind of want to get into after, I guess, after your first year of working, you you said you bought a property. What was that process like buying your first property? Yeah. So with buying my first property, man, like for me, I was in a, you know, one bedroom apartment at the time. I I lived out in West Texas, so it's still fairly cheap out there, at least uh, this town I was in. And I was like, I know that I have enough money or I know that I wanted to own stuff. And so I'm looking at different properties. Didn't really know much. Like I literally went on Craigslist and like looked for properties. And that's how I found the house from Craigslist. Looked at the property. Dude said it was like recently uh, renovated. So I was like, all right, cool. Reached out to him. Went to look at the property. You know, it was very unique. Had a little, like nice little rustic look to it. Two bed, one bath house. Had a storm cellar you know, had an actual additional lot in the back as well. Like it was a nice, nice little place, especially for, you know, someone like me. So, you know, initially he wanted, so just to talk numbers, he wanted the house for 65,000. You know, I was able to negotiate it down to 60,000, but to be honest, like me saying 60,000 wasn't because I knew something that it wasn't because I knew how to run comps or anything like that. I was just like, 60 sounds like a good number. <laughs> let's, let's go. Let's, let's go with that. And so like we got down to 60. So I went with Bank of America to get the loan, uh, you know, just through my parents. I've had a long relationship with Bank of America and, you know, I had, I've always had good credit and, you know, I've always been good with saving my money. So that was never really an issue there. So whenever Bank of America ran the appraisal, they came back at 58.5. And so I was like, well, I'm not about to pay the difference from, you know, 60000 to the 58.5. So I went back to God, told him that, and we ended up settling at a purchase price of 58.5. Oh. <laughs> so that phrase actually helped me out. <laughs> I love your story, my brother, for both investing and this first property, because I think it's some example that a lot of people can just learn from in that you didn't have it all figured out. You ain't had everything, all the knowledge. Like, I think a lot of times we get analysis paralysis. We stop ourselves from doing shit. And the only way you ever going to get past it is by actually doing it. So I love that example in that, like, 
you would have never known that house was worth less. You just was guessing. <laughs> I was guessing. I said 60 sounds like a good number. Let's go with this. They agreed to it. <laughs> it was good. We would have been good. Like, we would have closed on that price, but the appraisal came back lower. Shoot, that helped me out even more, you know? Obviously, now, since then, <laughs> I've become yeah. a lot more knowledgeable about what I was going on. But, yeah, even then. So, ended up at 58.5, moved in. And, like I said, three months later, I got a, a new job opportunity down these outskirts of Houston. And, um, shoot, I knew I wasn't going to sell the house, but my manager at the time, you know, and like I said, his wife was a property manager or a, a realtor. And I knew something about them then should be able to help. She was like, well, I know this girl, she's about to start her own property management company. Maybe you, y'all can, you know, do whatever. She's a realtor as well. So we spoke, she said that, let's say, so she said, I'll be able to get 800 a month on that house. My mortgage was like five, 550 or something like that. So, you know, she gets the 10% off that and you know the cash flows is very very small but it's it's there is there and you're talking about a property that i had zero knowledge of how to actually structure a deal so you know i would buy bought it better or whatever the case was so i was all right cool and you know this was in 2014 but i haven't been back since and it's i still have that property still cash flowing still chugging along and haven't had any vacancy issues Shoot, if any, if any major stuff that happened, like roof problems or anything like that, insurance is taking care of it. So, like that one property has been a fairly good investment. You know, it hasn't appreciated much just because the, the area doesn't appreciate much over there. But the cool thing about it is, like for example, now I buy for cash flow. So if appreciation happens, that's just a cherry on top. The cash flow is the most important thing, anyways. So yeah, it's been what six six years now and. Still chugging along on that first probably. I still haven't been back to see. I need to go just check it out and see if I can get some other stuff around there. But yeah, it's crazy. Yeah, man. Go see your go see your roots, man. See what started it all. <laughs> so what was that next deal like? Did after you purchased that property, was this like, okay, I think real estate is really where I want to focus? Is that kind of what happened? No, so you know what's crazy? And I, I came to this realization the other day. I uh I actually tried to get into wholesaling, but I didn't know that's what I was doing back when I was living out in West Texas, because I never actually closed on a deal. But, you know, I spoke to a few people trying to get their house on a contract, but I didn't really understand the concept of if I get this house on a contract, how the hell am I going to get the money to get it sold? But the people like I found some people on YouTube that, you know, I joined their academy or whatever the case was like, oh, we'll take care of that. And, you know, now that I'm knowledgeable now, like I see what was happening, but I was like, dang, I, I, but like wholesaling that, honestly, that thing really isn't for me because I really don't like talking to people like that. I just like kind of like being on the back end of being that buyer and, you know, just trying to make some things shake on the investment side of things. But um, yeah, so with real estate, like I said, my biggest thing is trying to own as much stuff as I can, control as much stuff as I can. So whenever I moved down to the outskirts of Houston, I ended up buying a house here. And with this time, I bought it with the intention of if I had to move, I know I'll be able to rent it out no problem. Mm-hmm. That was in my head. It's like, if I have to move, because the thing a lot of people kind of like have this myth in their head that if they buy a house, they're stuck, they're stuck. can't move. It's like, well, if you buy correctly, you can move wherever the hell you want. <laughs> the problem is a lot of people want to buy their forever home real early. Mm-hmm. Most of the time you buy your forever home, it's not going to make sense number wise to get, you know, normal rents. Mm-hmm. Nowadays with Airbnb, it's 
a little bit more possible, but especially back then, it's like, yo, if you buy, you got to buy and make sure that your rent will at the very bare minimum cover your mortgage and, mm-hmm. you know, things that you'll be able to take care of. So, you know, I bought in the suburbs uh, here, down here in Houston and um, still have that property too. And then after that, I got into my first rehab project and it was, and that story is crazy. So like I said, I used to work at a, a refinery, right? Every morning I'm driving down to the refinery. I see this old ass motel ran down and every morning I'm driving past it. And I'm thinking to myself, like, man, if anybody would be able to get this thing and fix it up, like they'll make a shit ton of money because this proximity of where that motel was to the refinery, you're, I mean, you're one, two minutes away from it. So, you know, I'm, I'm driving past, I'm driving past it. It's like, fuck it. Let me find out who this person is. And, you know, I was there. I don't know how I found out who, who it was. At the, well, I, I, I think I was able to find it out through some of my connections with real estate, but I found out that person. I searched him on LinkedIn. Well, I think I thought I'd see him on Facebook, but I found him on LinkedIn. Looked at his page. I saw that he graduated. He got his MBA from UTSA. I was like, boom, this is my way in to, you know, to have that conversation with him. So I reached out to him, DM'd him on LinkedIn. And yeah, he reached out. You know, obviously I brought up the whole road runner. Like, you know, that's our mascot yeah. road runners. And he was like, yeah, man, we're, you know, no one's uh, trying to contact me about selling a property, but, you know, I'm willing to talk, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, we chop it up about the property. Come to find out the city had rezoned that particular property. So if he were to sell it, you can only build like an industrial kind of like warehouse or something mm-hmm. on, that, on that lot. So that wasn't going to work, but that was owned by his dad who had a crazy amount of properties around there. So he inherited a few properties that was in that location, but he lived in Colorado Springs. So he ain't local, you know what I mean? You don't want to deal with it. So, so he has a property, a couple of properties out here. And so he had one more that was close to the refinery and he was like, you know, I was thinking about rehabbing it, but you know, we were in the process of rehabbing the other one. But I don't know. We'll, you know, we'll try to talk it up. So, you know, after some negotiations, I ended up buying one of these houses that needed to be rehabbed from. And like I said, it was down the street from where I work. So it was like literally the best, the great opportunity. And I knew once fixed up that uh, the place was perfect for rentals. Mm-hmm. And so I knew the numbers would work. And so this is where theory and reality comes into play. Because in theory, this was this is where, and it was crazy. It's it so crazy. I still some of this stuff kind of like you kind of learned the some of the verbiage. So you know the Burr strategy, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't understand, like not understand it, but I never really heard about it. But when I saw this property, that's what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know the Burr strategy was a thing, but I knew that was that was the strategy I was about to use. So I bought the place. I was going to rehab the place. I was going to refinance the house once I did Appreciate the forced appreciation. And then I was going to rent that thing out. But through that refinance, I'll be able to get the money that I put in back. Sure, I could go get another property. Now I'm in this property for free. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And now it's paying me for whenever, you know, until I decide to sell the house. So went into it with that. And it was crazy because, like, like I said, it was my first rehab project. And it was going real smooth, you know, first couple of months, real smooth. And but the the issue was I was paying the contractor just in draws. It didn't matter what work was done. And that was mm-hmm. my first mistake because it was crazy. I actually reached out to uh, Petway Estates. 
you know, February. Yeah. I reached out to him and I was like, yo, you know, this is back when they was kind of like giving their toolbox stuff for free. So, you know, I was able, I was able to get some of the information as far as like contracts and stuff goes. And I was like, oh, I got it. And I saw the contract. I was like, man, everything's going smooth right now. I'm going to just do it on the next property. Now, I'm telling you, like maybe a week or two later, I paid out the third draw. All of a sudden, my contractor goes ghost. He, I mean, like no cost text. If he, he'll, he'll be like, oh, my, my subcontractor got hurt. He'll be back like in a couple of days. You know, wouldn't answer calls, you know, starts going ghost. And I'm like, because I found him through one of these Facebook marketplace or Facebook groups, you know, real estate Facebook groups. So I'm, re- I'm typing out anybody uh, work with this guy. Then that's when he finally reached back out to me. Cause he wanted to, he wanted me to delete that post and all that. Uh-huh. He started talking about, you know, my subcontractor screwed me over and this, this, and that. I was like, man, that ain't got nothing to do with me. I'm the one that paid you to do the work. And you just ran off of my damn money. And then you ran off of my money. So, you know, he took, so I probably, I probably paid him around like 30 K worth of work. He probably did about half that to be honest. Yeah. So like, man, I'm scrambling now to, you know, save up a little money to finish up the job. So I had to use, Throwing a one man band pretty much to fix all the interior because he did the, the original contractor did all the outside work, but mm-hmm. the interior still needed you know a good amount of work done. So shoot, I ended up like having to hire this guy to you know I ended up purchasing the, the material. He'll go in and you know in a sense fix it up. So it took a while to do that, but you know I learned how much material costs. Yeah. That whole process was interesting itself because, like, even then, like, for example, I bought laminate flooring. Man, right before this dude was about to put that thing in, got hit, stole all the damn flooring. So wow. I had to come back out, get, you know, do the, you know what I'm saying? So I've learned this so first much. rehab was hell. <laughs> so I learned so much stuff from this rehab, but uh, it, it allowed me to kind of like learn what to do, like, kind of like going mm-hmm. forward in the future, right? So at the time, like I was frustrated, but I knew this would tell a great story in the future. And now here's the future, you know what I mean? So yeah, so I was able to finish out, finally finish out the property. And one of the things, because you know, with a bird strategy for most lenders, you know, your loan has to be seasoned six months before they actually do the refinance. So mm-hmm. for me, I would have finished it in like three months. Technically, I still would have to wait three months before I could do the refinance, you know what I mean? And so uh, that kind of played out in my favor because I ended up finishing it around that six month time frame. But the problem was, even though I did do the refinance, I was still kind of out money because of what happened. Mm-hmm. You know, I had 35 to put in for the rehab stuff, but now I'm all in like 50. So, or sorry, I, I, I instead of 35, it was closer to 50 that I had to put in for mm-hmm. rehab. Those numbers kind of messed up, but I ended up suing him and I got like liens on his house and stuff right now. So if he ever, ever tries to sell, I'll get my money back some way, somehow, or, you know, through that sell for sure. But yeah, no, I just learned so much from that project. But the thing about it all, even with all this headache, right? And, it, and even through all this, like there was never a doubt in my mind. It's like, oh, I'm quitting real estate. I'm done with mm-hmm. this. Like I said, it was just a part of the process. But yeah, through it all, like I learned so much and I learned that real estate can be forgiving because through all of this stuff, I'm still getting cash flow from the house, cash flow from the house to this day. So in a sense, I can, in a sense, wait for it to appreciate to get to a point where I can recoup most of my money. But in the meantime, you know what I'm saying? At least I'm getting some money back. Mm-hmm. Hey, that's, that's smart, though. And that's like beautiful. It's all a part of the process. 
And like you said, you didn't get bitter about it. You weren't frustrated. You ain't let that shit defeat you. You was just like, nah, this part of the process. I'm going to keep on taking my L's. I'm going to keep on rolling with it. And I think that's where a lot of people kind of get messed up is they say they want to go through the process, but whenever they're really truly in it, they don't understand like this shit going to get hard. Like it's going to get tough. It's going to really challenge you and see what you made of. Right. It really is because... If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. I know a lot of people that, for example, I have a buddy. He tried to do rental pro- or do rental properties. I think he was in San Antonio. He had one bad experience. He said he'll never touch another house again. Damn. No, he was done with it. And I was like, for the most, I mean, th- at this point, I don't think I had a bad experience just yet, but I was just like, man, that's crazy. I, I mean, I can see that. If your very first experience with the investment is a horrible tenant, I could kind of understand, you know, that you get frustrated real, real quick, especially if you didn't have a property manager and you were the property manager, because a lot of people don't want to deal with other people, but then a lot of people want to try to save money, which kind of like screws them over. So I was like, yo, you can kind of like remove yourself as much as you can from, from the business in a sense have the systems in place i mean you can always make it work do you currently still use property managers yeah so for the houses that i have here in houston i still do it i still self-manage right now uh, but the ones that are out of the city or out of state i do use uh, property managers you know when, once i get a little bit bigger then i'll use the private managers here in houston but for right now i'm still self-managing those gotcha. it's, it's manageable right now so, my brother, you, through that first experience with the rehab, not a, that was your third problem. I kind of want to, like, see what were some of the things that, like, you learned that you implemented afterward, like some of the different strategies that you, you put in to avoid having to repeat those same mistakes, like going over budget, dealing with these people stealing your shit, you know, stuff like that. Right. So, it's, it's actually crazy because I'm in the process right now of building a house here in the hood. New construction? Uh, it was it started off as rehab, but it's, yeah, it's pretty much a new construction. Yeah, man, it's, pretty, <laughs> oh. <laughs> it's, pretty, it's pretty much a new construction, but yeah. So with it, you know, I still because I mean, with real estate, you're still going to get hit from time to time. Like I had electrical wiring got taken out of the house twice after we just got it inspected. About to put the sheetrock up, boom, got hit. About to put the electrical, you know, they rewired it again. I want to say because I was out of town. They ended up getting hit in the house again. And so, like, you know, most of I mean, what you can do is, like, for example, in situations like that, when there's certain types of tasks that's going on or you're in an area that is high likely of theft with stuff like wiring, just during certain time frames of when work is going on, hire someone to be out there during, during midnight. You know what I mean? Have your neighbors kind of like have, keep a lookout. So you want to kind of like be friends with people that, that are around there. So you have more eyes on the ground if you can be out there. Another thing that you can do uh, and probably what I'll probably end up doing in the future is like, for example, um, I have one of my guys, Jamil, he uh, has like some of these kind of like automation system that runs without power or Wi-Fi, but you can still get notified too. So, you know, it's an investment where it's like 3K, but that's an investment where it'll save you more than 3K or whatever is about to get destroyed or whatever the case is. You know what I mean? 
So it's like, you know, just stuff like that on the back end, just kind of like having some of the contracts in place. Don't pay for work until it gets done. Um, I know it's kind of hard, especially in certain bigger areas where you have to give a little bit money up front, which is fine. Just don't go crazy where, you know, you just like I did my very first time, just give them all this money, even though work wasn't done just yet. And boom, all of a sudden the contract is gone and you're scrambling, trying to make some shake, you know, because you like I got fortunate that I was able to scramble up the money. Some people, they can't and they got to sell the house as is. And then they're taking a big L. You know what I mean? So just do as much as you can to mitigate the risk. And um, even if it feels like it's expensive, but, you know, it's just things that need to be done so that um, you can protect, protect your investment. I kind of want to hop into the Black Sea. Mm-hmm. How did that come about? Yeah, so Black Sea came about in uh, 2017. It started with me realizing, I think I was like 27 at the time. I was realizing that, you know, a lot of people my age, they weren't investing in anything. Like, you know, mm-hmm. stock market, I'm like, stock market is so easy to invest. You just put your money in there. Shoot, you, only got, you ain't even got to sell it. Just keep putting money in there and holding. Even if it falls, it's going to go back up. Like, this is a hole, you know what I mean? Even if you invested in things that you use, just do that. But so like no one was like, not no one, but a lot of people weren't. And so I kind of like made a post on Instagram. I was like, yo, you know, if you're interested in learning how to invest in the stock market, you know, I'm doing like one-on-one consultations. Like we'll meet up at like a Starbucks or something like that in Houston. And um, it'll be good. Like I probably had like 10, 15 people kind of like reach out and we did the thing. So I kind of like explained how the stock market works. Say, hey, yo, these are these brokerages. You can check them out. And this is before I think Robinhood really like mm-hmm. started popping. So I will do that. But the thing was, even after all of that, even it being a good meeting, sometimes they didn't open up that brokerage account. Yeah. It, you know, it sounded good, but they ain't, it ain't close. So I was like, man, there's got to be a better way to do this. And so that's where I was like, all right, what's one way that can make force people to invest? And I can do it as well and still have my skin in the game. And that's where I started the investment club. Mm-hmm. Investment club, you know, we're all putting in 50, 50, 100, $150 a month into this pot and we're investing. And so now what's happening is people that never knew how to invest before, now they have a brokerage account. Now they're investing with someone who's invested before. Mm-hmm. I ain't trying to say, you know, I'm like Warren Buffett, but like I know what I'm doing at the very bare minimum, you know what I mean? So now I have it set up to where, you know, I had like a PowerPoint presentation slash, it was called a voice thread. So like if you were completely, completely brand new to investing, then I kind of gave you like a stock market one-on-one. How to, what's the terminology? What's, how do you read a stock chart? Things of that nature. And that was part of the things that you got once you joined my group. And so we did that. And it, like I said, it kind of like for And it, one of the cool things that I find, I guess, comfort in knowing is that, you know, some of these people, like I said, they never invested before. But once they join a group, after a couple months, they open up their own brokerage account with like Robinhood or something. Mm-hmm. Now, alongside with a group, they invested with the, by themselves. They, I, in a sense, just helped change their trajectory, their family trajectory, because now they learn how to invest. You know what I mean? They didn't have the knowledge. They didn't have the, you know. They were scared at first. Yeah. You know, they're scared. But now they see, okay, this could happen. Boom. Now they're making thousands a day. <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean? So it's like, I'm over here helping people like change that trajectory for their family. And so that was really, really, really a big th- blessing, at least that I felt like was starting the investment club. So, you know, we were doing that for about two years and man, like 
we had to ended up shutting down the club just because of COVID. The platform we were using, it was called Volio. Their U.S. operations, I guess the investors, they, they when, whenever COVID happened, they're like, ah, we don't know what's about to happen. They, I guess they stopped funding it or whatever. So mm-hmm. they had to shut down. And it was the worst time because this was right before Tesla boomed. <laughs> we, had a, oh, hey, we had a good amount of shares in Tesla too. So, I mean, we made good money with Tesla, yeah. but like, this was right before it went like, it went stupid during the pandemic. <laughs> so, yeah. And then, so we pretty much hit, we were just at the six figure mark at that point before we disbanded. But, you know, overall, like I could say that, you know, if you invested me, you made money. We, we ended up closing the group down at a 46.6% return. So can't really complain about that. 46.6% I mean? in two and a half years. You, <laughs> most people ain't getting that investing by themselves and i'm glad you brought this up as the investment as a team you mentioned the platform Vallejo. i was going to ask you like for somebody that's interested in starting an investment club how can you structure that out like legally like how do you get people to you know pool money together and like i guess have an entity set up behind that yeah so um that's what i miss about Vallejo because they made that thing extremely extremely easy like to be of in a sense of fund manager, they made it simple. Like, cause now you have to do in, in a sense everything manually. You know what I mean? Like if someone's trying to open a brokerage account, now you have to sign up a new brand new account. You have to fill out all this information. And then you don't got you gotta link them up with a bank account to, you know, because now you have to open up a, a separate bank account for all the funds. And now with that, because now maybe not everybody's putting in the same amount, now you have to see how much. You know, this person, okay, this person put 50, this person has like a 50. Oh, yeah. You have to deal with all those numbers. Like with Volio, they had that thing down packed. I ain't got to worry about it. So all you had to do was log into your account. You saw how much you put in. You saw how much the investment in now. You saw the total group's portfolio and you were good. Like it was, it was amazing. So like if someone had to leave, for example, you knew how much money you was about to take out. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so now, you, like a lot of that is very, very manual. Now you have to, in a sense, kind of like get a, you know, create form an entity, maybe an LLC or whatever, open up a brokerage account with like someone like TD Ameritrade or Scott Trade or someone like that, open up the bank accounts. And, you know, it's 100% doable. You just, it's a lot of- A lot more work. A lot, a lot of labor and just kind of like, in a sense, you might have to, because like the thing for me, and this is one of the reasons why I ended up shutting the thing down, I was doing this for free. I was doing it, like any all that money in, you, all that money you took back out. I didn't. No I didn't management know, fees. I didn't know manager. I didn't do nothing. That was this was all. <laughs> I'll say this is my pro bono work for <laughs> for, for those, those fans. So yeah, I wasn't going to make my job even worse, not having not getting paid for that. Thanks. So I was just like, let me go ahead and we had a great percent return. Let me divest, give everybody their money back. In the future, if something like this happens again, and I'll bring it back, obviously, I'll change a lot of stuff about how I did it. But um, yeah, it's just something that I'm not going to stress myself out about it for free. <laughs> so um, understand. I also wanted to get into the Airbnb. I've seen that they all you also bought an Airbnb in Houston area. How did that come about? So this is what I talk about when I say I touched a lot of things when it comes to Airbnb or it comes to real estate. So. I did Airbnb back in like 2015 on one of the houses that I bought out in the suburbs. And what happened is I would be in Houston in the city during the weekend. So I'll just rent out my spot during the weekend. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of closest. So the people that come in, 
the opposite will be full. So they kind of come up to where I'm at and I'll rent it out. And pretty much every weekend it was, it was booked. So that's kind of how I got introduced to Airbnb. So I knew it worked. But since then, and then I ended up stopping for a while. And then this year I ended up getting back into, into it just as COVID started. Literally the worst time <laughs> to do that. So, but I didn't buy the house. This is where I learned about rental arbitrage. And so mm-hmm. I was able to rent out, lease out a townhouse from a guy. Let him know. I let him know that it was for, well, I didn't say Airbnb outright, but that it was kind of like corporate leasing mm-hmm. and you know, stuff like that. So he knew that I wasn't going, like, like I kind of had a structure where, oh, you know, business people were coming for trips, maybe for like a week at a time, but this place will always get clean, this, this, and that. And he was fine with it. As long as he was getting paid, he was good. So, I mean, that's one of the things you have to do. You have to let the people know up front because if they don't want you to know and they find out, you're going to be screwed. I, I saw so yeah. many people, like, with the, they do this with apartments and the apartment find out and then the apartment says, no, nah, y'all got to get out and, and you owe the whole year's rent. I've seen it happen, you know, so be truthful about it. If they don't want to do it, then just find someone. Someone go let you do it. You know what I mean? Just got to do it. Somebody want that, that money. Because at the end of the day, like you said, as long as they getting their money at the end of the day, right. shit, this is just like renting. Right. So I did what's called rental arbitrage. I leased out the property and I knew that, you know, the money I'll make with Airbnb will be enough to cover the property, cover the, the lease for the month, plus, you know, all the other expenses. And so... um yeah, it was crazy because like I started it up again. And man, these first I learned, man, Airbnb, like in the beginning when I was relearning everything again, I almost wanted to quit because like that first couple of months, these guests were not being either lying on their profile, coming in, having parties, smoking weed, like leaving weed stuff everywhere, the whole house smelling like weed, like having these full blown out parties. This is a small little gated community. You can't be having all this stuff going around, you know. So the neighbors are pissed off and, you know, and, you know, I can't blame them, but it's not, you know, and my whole intent isn't to have people having a party. So, you know, things started happening where I was like, all right, let me get more, you know, strict with who I let come in. Because in the beginning, it was just like people weren't booking like weeks out in advance. Like they'll probably book like a day or two before. So I'm like, man, I need I need to get some money this week. And so I'll accept the booking. But this is like, like I said, I was doing it like in the beginning. I'm thinking of back in 2015 when people were actually being truthful on this stuff. I didn't have any of these issues when on my old property. But when I started it again, now these people upgraded, evolved. They were like, I had people say, oh, you know, we're here for a couple's getaway. You know, uh, we, just go, we, need, we just need something slight. Man, I look at the ring camera. They, these niggas having a full blown party full-blown party like you had to so you know you ended up getting the cops involved and you know things of that nature so yeah it was a struggle but as of a couple months ago i was able to kind of rally that back and um in a sense kind of like be a little more straight so the quality of guests that are coming in got a lot better and um with that i was able to get my super host status back because i had it whenever i did it back in 2015 but now I was able to get it back. So now my booking is considered a little bit higher rating. It's mm-hmm. a little bit more visible. And, I, you know, the price that you charge, is, is, it can be a little bit more as well. So, yeah, it's, it's been good so far. I, I had signed a two-year lease. So we're coming up, or I guess March will be the end of the first year. But kind of like going forward with that. And it's in a great, great area in Houston, too. So and once I side open up, I mean, I know Houston ain't really like shut down like that. But like, once <laughs> I open up where 
you know, like events and stuff start happening again, that's when those prices can really surge. And even still with it, like through COVID and like all this craziness, has the the Airbnb still been able to mostly maintain itself and like cover for the? So that that goes to show like even more that that's just still even a viable option during a pandemic. You know? Yeah. Yeah, so with Airbnb, like the first couple of months, you know, Airbnb definitely took a hit. But one of the things that I did was I listed on Airbnb, I listed it on VRBO, I listed it on Booking.com. So I had it on these other places. And um, so I was able to get, you know, people from it enough to cover what I needed to get covered. Unfortunately, it came with some of these, you know, bad, bad guests. But, you know, the first couple of months, I was able to withstand that. And then once and even through it all, Shoot, I want to say one of my better months was came in like uh, I want to say September, September, October. It was, it was those were really good months for me. So yeah, even with like I said, especially like I said with Houston, you know, a lot of people their cities and states are shutting down, so they they still want to go out, so they come down here. A lot of people like for example Chicago, Chicago shut down, all of them they came down here. You know what I mean? Go to Houston to turn up. <laughs> so Houston uh, Airbnb at least here has been fine. Gotcha. And I kind of want to get into you. Uh, you wrote a book. Yeah. I want to talk about how did that come about and what exactly is in the book? Yeah. So uh, I wrote a book called 10 Reasons Why You're Living Senseless. I wrote that back in 2017, too. And pretty much it was the biggest thing was kind of like giving, I, you know, I've always been a good saver, being able to, you know, keep my money, not really spending on much stuff. But I know a lot of people don't. And my biggest thing was, give 10 reasons why, you know, where your money's going, and then just try to give them actionable tips of how they could do better. You know, and the biggest thing is really like, you just got to sacrifice, even if it's temporarily. Awesome. Sacrifice your friends, sacrifice, you know, going out partying, sacrifice, even if, you know, you might have to get roommates, you might have to go um, home, you know, mm-hmm. live and maybe that's not a good situation, but some, some things you got to sacrifice, you know, if you got, you're someone that likes designer clothes, Either don't do it or, you know, get the, go to certain places where, you know, they don't cost as much. You give your lease at the minimum, getting that secondhand prices. You know what I mean? So, um, yeah. And then one of the biggest things I like to put out in the book, and it was something that I learned myself, is what I call the money jar method, where, you know, you have maybe like six quote unquote jars. And these can be like six different bank accounts, right? Mm-hmm. And you kind of direct deposit your money into different accounts. So like one account could be specifically for bills. Another account could be specifically for entertainment. Another account be specifically for like your loans, education, long-term savings. And so have a percentage for how much money goes into each one and let that thing go. And if, you do, and if you're in a job that has direct deposit, now it's out of sight, out of mind, and it's automatically doing it. And now no more human nature for you to try to touch things and change this and, oh, this is going to happen. So uh, yeah, I kind of introduce a lot of, uh, you know, like I said, actionable stuff that people can use to actually really change that around so that, you know, they can get to a point where they either start a business or start getting to a point where they can start investing. You know what I mean? So that's really the biggest thing. Try to get more income. Thanks. Man, that piece about the budget on autopilot, that's something we love. We actually talk about not book too bad. You might like the 1% have to pull it up real quick. Y'all get that. But yeah, no. Like that idea is is so simple, but it can save so many people whenever it comes to personal finances. Like just by like putting some percentages on your money 
Because like everybody thinks you got to have a bunch of money to do this shit. Right. Just putting percentages on it, looking at how you spend it and allocating it in different buckets will save you so much of a mental headache. And that other piece uh, that setting them on auto pay. Yeah, setting your bills on auto pay with that shit. Your life become a whole lot less stressful. But also, even, maybe even if you start off with 50 bucks a month. Yeah. Problem is you blow 50 bucks doing all this, like 50 bucks a month, you ain't gonna die. You gonna find out what you could give up 50 bucks a month. I don't care how poor you are. You could get you could put away 50 bucks a month. You know what I mean? You could find a way. I know, like with me investing, it started off just as like acorns, like a bullshit ass app, like acorn, putting five dollars a week away. Like you anybody can do that. Yeah. You anybody. But we did kind of pass over something with Black Seed that I uh I wanted to go back to, bro. And it was that after y'all, I'm not sure if it was after or it was still during while the fun was the the stock club was open. You decided to take those same principles and apply them to real estate too. So right. can we talk about that group and how that one kind of works? Yeah. So whenever I did that, everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I waited, you know, I was like, all right, you know, this is working for the stock club. Let me try this with real estate. And obviously real estate is more so my jam in a sense. So kind of did the same situation. Um, looking to purchase a property. Would like to have people put their money in and we'll own a piece of property. You get a small percentage. And what happens is I was able to get a certain amount of money. And, you know, once again, people that never would have been able to buy their own property. Now, you know, they're having a, a equity share, a true equity share in, in a home. I was able to find a house out in Memphis through my boy, Brandon, Brandon Jones. And we bought the property straight up out cash. It was already renovated. I already had a tenant inside and it was Section 8. So you're getting guaranteed money from the government. You know what I mean? You really didn't have to do much work to the home and shoot, like if everything was going well, like in the four year time frame, the house is paid off, but you recoup your initial investment in the home and you're scot-free going forward. You know what I mean? So yeah, you know, we, we ended up doing that. We purchased that home yeah. April of last year and uh, still going strong with the house. Um, one of the things I wanted to do, like once that happened, because the minimum investment in debt was like $2,500. And the one thing that I did learn doing things with like the investment club and even this one, I was like, I got to stop doing small stuff. Am I going to do headache? I need to do it on a much bigger scale. So that's when I ended up doing the, uh, the Black Sea Revitalization Fund, where you know that minimum was $20,000. And um, with that is the, the tends to raise like $5 million. And the tent is literally invest in the inner city neighborhoods of Memphis and Houston, buy, the, buy these homes for, for cheap, fix them up, put them on Section 8. And then now you're not, you're not forcing out people that are in that community. Mm-hmm. Uh, gives them a chance to have, you know, be a little bit profitable where they're living. You know, they might be on a Section 8, but if they're a little bit more profitable about where they're at, they can, you know, get better jobs and things of that nature. You know, just kind of like slow mm-hmm. sparking the change of what's going on around there. But at the minimum time, you ain't pushing them out. And that's the, one of the biggest things I wanted to, you know, say that. Yeah. And and then on top of that, even if it wasn't Section 8, right, like the type of homes that, you know, we would be getting in, they're so low that it's recession proof. Like the investment is there. The only thing with it is 
like say if you were an investor, you're not seeing your money immediately because we are rehabbing a lot of these homes. You know what I mean? So on a back end is really where, you know, you really see the investment because for one, um, the houses for the most part will be owned outright. And then things like appreciation will most likely happen. But even with that, in the meantime, you know, just because this was going to be like between a five to eight year time frame, you're collecting all this cash flow that's coming in. And then when you finally sell, boom, because with the Black Sea Revitalization Fund, it was a eight, uh, 6% preferred return annually. And then, you know, 70-30 split between 70% of the profit if we do sell a house or, you know, whatever it was, it will go to the investors and 30% will go to me and my management team. And from there, like a lot of people, they see, they hear that 6%, like, uh, you know, I can make that this and that. But it's like, that's just a small piece. You know, mm-hmm. you're not thinking about the back end where once we sell some of these properties, that 6% jumps to honestly 28, 30% possibly. So now you're getting cashed out on your equity. Exactly. So, you know, I started this thing kind of pretty much around COVID. So COVID kind of like took a back, kind of ruined that. But um, 2021, I tried to get back out there, kind of like pitch it again. And and see if, see if I get some investors. Once I'm able to raise a hundred k, I can start investing in homes. And I think once that starts happening, people see how this is really operating, and more investments start coming in. So, I love it, man. And I kind of want to ask, like, with that initial when you were just taking people for twenty five hundred dollars, were you dealing with a lot of people who didn't have an understanding of equity? Like, so whenever it came to the part, because I'm just thinking about it. It's a house. If you got a few, like 10 people put up $2,500, the cash flow each month from that is not going, it's almost negligible for each right. individual. Right. But like, how did you walk them through that process, bro? Yeah. So the thing is, because it was such a low amount of money that I, I let them know up front, like, don't expect a big dividend. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, even with this, like, once we bought the house, I haven't paid out any dividends because we're allowing the reserves in a sense to build back up. And the thing is, we're just like once they, these reserves build back up, shoot, if we see another property, we might just put in and, and use that and then buy another property. That way the you know spread start getting a little bit bigger. But you're right, like one house splitting in between like nine and ten people, isn't the numbers ain't really there. But what you're doing is for me, it's always about the habit and the mindset. Mm-hmm half of those people never invested in the house before now they have equity and they can say that they have a house you know what i mean mm-hmm. so it's more so of a this is what i'm doing versus uh this is the best investment for you know the best investment ever kind of thing and like i said that's why i was like all right you know at a smaller scale it doesn't really make sense to keep doing like that but if i could get 10 people at twenty thousand, that changes the game a lot and mm-hmm. i can leverage that money you know in in a bigger way so I love it, man. Oh, um, the last thing I want to get into is the uh, you have a clothing brand uh, for sports, sports clothing brand. Mm-hmm. And they also you just got into seeing you got into supplements. How did that come about? And how's that going for you? My man got people feeling limitless. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, with Phoenix, man, Phoenix, I actually started that in 2018. And it just kind of like started with, you know, everybody's rocking Adidas, Nike, Puma, all this other stuff. Like, man, I want to rock my own stuff. You already, as you can tell now, I'm very big on ownership. So I wanted to have my own thing and uh, started that whole process. You know, sourced a lot of my material and made sure it was very high quality. And one of the things I learned was it really doesn't matter how high quality 
you know, product that you have if people aren't buying it. So you need to kind of like get it out to in front of people, make sure like there's a buzz going on about it. You have the right influencers pushing it. You know, one of the mistakes I did earlier on was I bulk ordered a crazy amount of stuff. So I had joggers, I had leggings, I had sports bras, I had all this stuff, but it was just sitting here. So I'm thinking I was about to sell this is a thing out like this you know, move on. Like, nah, I, it wasn't like I was an influencer to be pushing it on a massive scale like that. So for the longest, it took me a while to sell out. And so what I learned is, and I kind of like implemented it whenever I started the, my beard care line is start with one product, mm-hmm. start with one product, make sure that it does well. And then you can start branching out from there. Cause you don't want to waste too much money if, if it's not going to work that way. So all that to find out, you know, apparel industry, in a sense, is already hard as it is. <laughs> it's already hard as it is. So I'm being, you know, I'm chugging along, chugging along. And then last month, so when it comes to ads, I, I really didn't know too much about it. I tried it, didn't really work out. I've hired an ads person or for Phoenix, didn't really work out. But what kind of changed for me was with my Zion, the beer care brand, we hired this guy to run Facebook ads. And the ads were converting. It wasn't even converting at a crazy scale, but they were converting. So I was like, okay, finally something that makes sense. And those for our, uh, our gummies. <laughs> yeah, these gummies, right? These, these are our best-selling products for Zion. And for whatever reason, some random ad of me doing this, literally, and with me having like the gummies in my hand, you know, was doing, was doing fairly well. So I'm like, huh. This is working for gummies with supplements and their you know, ads are running. So I was like, man, I think I could do this with supplement with Phoenix. Like have these supplements here, you know, these multivitamins, uh, you know, turmeric and all this other stuff. It's like, I think I can sell it. So I had Limitless Focus and I just started literally, I want to say I launched it late November, like maybe November 20th or so around like Black Friday timeframe. And that has been a game changer, bro. <laughs> game changer. Like, you know, the right people on um, Twitter have pushed it, you know, trusted voices in the community. And from there, like a lot of people started buying it. And you know what it is. Like, you know, once people start seeing it, like what's going on, let me try this out. You know, everybody has that hype and, you know, a lot of sales started coming through. And then, you know, people are having positive reviews, especially for the limitless focus you know, positive reviews are coming in. And from there, you know, once the reviews start coming in, that helps me out. And so that allows me, you know, all this traffic coming in. Now all the Facebook ads are getting retargeted to them, to the people who maybe didn't buy before, but a week later, they might buy it because people are still talking about it on the timeline and they're seeing it when they're scrolling through social media. So yeah. And it, once they actually go to the page, they get to see people left reviews and right. like, hey, man, I'm fucking with this. Right. And, and, you know, once that happened, man, like I said, it was I have not experienced this before. But if I could have a few more months like this, <laughs> it'll, be, it'll be a very, very, very big game changer. So I'm actually in, like, you know, so Limitless Focus is definitely my best selling product through Phoenix so far. I honestly think so. I'm about to come out next week with uh, apple cider vinegar gummies. And I think that'll give Limitless a run from his money from like the outer frame of just, you know, like the Twitter network and stuff, because it was crazy because I've seen this other brand that's actually called Goalie. And I'm like, apple cider vinegar gummies, that's the literally the only product. And they're selling a shit ton of it, a shit ton of it. So 
So I'm looking at their page, you know, market, market research, right? Mm-hmm. Just seeing, seeing what's going on with them. Man, I saw those on the Ellen DeGeneres show. I was like, oh, yeah, this is a whole way. It's a whole. So, like, one, I mean, once you get on the show, you're golden. And so, they, you know, obviously the sales have been running there from there. And so now they've been pushing through affiliates. So they have people pushing it for them. You know, obviously they have their uh, bigger ambassadors kind of like pushing it too. And um, yeah, so I was like, well, shoot, let me implement what they're doing. So I just launched my own affiliate program last week. <laughs> so hope to see that start kind of like coming in soon. A lot of, you know, especially right now, USPS has been tripping. Flaky, man. Tripping. Flaky, dog. So, like I said, a lot of orders have been coming in late. I had to resend our orders and customer service is big for me. So, you know, even if USPS either say that they delivered it and, you know, the people say they didn't. Or, you know, because they either didn't deliver or they delivered at the wrong mailbox or just have it saying late, you know. So I was like, well, I want you to try this product. Obviously, you're seeing what, you know, the hype about it on the timeline. Let me go ahead and, you know, send you out a, a new a new bottle. So I expect to see another surge of kind of like people posting the reviews about it here in these next couple of weeks. So now that I have, you know, these new products I'm coming out with, the apple cider vinegar gummies, the turmeric gummies, emergency support pills, and the ashwagandha. Like, I think uh, I have something, a nice little foundation to kind of like go forward in 2021 and and really, you know, take Phoenix to a new level. So we'll see how it goes. I'm really hopeful for it. This one month in the supplement game has been fantastic. I just hope I can continue to push hard because right now it's been a lot of word of mouth, a lot of stuff through brand ambassadorship. But I think of, you know, eight ads, that can definitely triple the rate of return. So I'm trying to see the best way to get around that. Man, this supplement game is crazy, bro. I just got to ask, like, where did you go to learn about this shit? Like, how you learn about these supplements? Is there like a marketplace for this? Or like, what is it? So uh, with the supplements, man, so, I mean, I'm a big guy, but I don't take them too much, (laughs) you know what I mean? But I'll sample them out and make sure, like, you know, the quality of the stuff is good. Because, like, for me, it's all about, you know, getting the quality of good enough for people to use it and make sure that it works. Obviously, you know, some of the stuff like for the limits, right? Some people it's not going to work for, but for the most part, you know, people are going to, to enjoy the product. So it's kind of like finding some people that would be able to manufacture the product. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to do a custom formula, you know, seeing what they do, you know, custom formulas obviously get expensive and stuff like that. But, um, you know, some people might, may already have some of this stuff already made and you could do what will be considered like white labeling mm-hmm. and like, you know, as long as the product is good, you know, go ahead and slap your label on it and market it as you know how. And, you know, that's what a lot of these bigger companies are doing anyway. So might as well do the same thing. Hey, I love it, man. I love it, my brother. You putting people on game with this. I never would have thought like selling supplements is such a natural extension to a fitness brand. Right. Like it's vertical integration. I love so it. The thing is, like I said, the apparel game that's been slow. And, you know, with, with apparel, like you might buy one or two items, but you don't really need it. Yeah. It like a year later or something happens, right? With the supplements, that's something that every two months, three months, they need to, they need to re-up. So now you're getting more orders than you will with apparel. And I still want to push the apparel. You know, I'm still trying to be like Gymshark. I still, you know, like I said, my stuff is good quality stuff. And I still want to push that. But until I get to the point where, you know, I have the funds to kind of like push that and, you know, get the right type of ambassador to be mm-hmm. a part of it where the... If I say, hey, you know, Phoenix is about to drop a line of this stuff and it sells out, you know, <laughs> whatever the case is, you know, I'm going to keep working to get to that point. But in the meantime, I'm just, you know, get the supplements, reinvest the profits 
and make a shake. Because the thing is, now that the supplements are working, they could see what kind of apparel that I have and they'll buy some of the apparel. It's still new eyes in, in that aspect. So build a brand loyalty. Hey man, I love it. I just love the whole idea of it, taking it, reinvesting it and putting it back, building these businesses. Man, just damn, man. It's, it's crazy. Cause like for me, like I said, I've always been fairly good with money. So like whenever I did get the money, like I always hold on to it. I never go use it to try to buy something like, something nice or some luxury product or whatever the case was. Like I always kind of like held on to it because even back with real estate, right? Like there'll be downtimes in some point where like one of our properties because of COVID, I haven't had a tenant in it for a while. And luckily for me, the whole time when I was renting it out, I didn't touch the profits. So that's what I was using to pay the mortgage the whole time until I was able to finally get a tenant back into the property. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. You know what I mean? So it's like, I've never been what to like, just waste a bunch. Like it just, it literally most of the stuff just kind of like sits in the account until, you know, emergency happens or whatever the case is. And then, you know, one of these days, you know, it's going to be a big pop so where I can enjoy the money a little bit more. Because the thing is with me, like I said, I unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, but um, I don't have that quote unquote stable income anymore that I used to have because I had a good, you know, I had many good jobs, but I never liked what I did. And so, you know, I'm one year into this entrepreneurship game full time. Like I've always had the entrepreneurial spirit and was doing it, but like full time doing this thing and not having that consistent income has been a pain because, you know, like I said, with the house that I'm building right now, like that house should have been done, but I'm using my savings to pay for that. And I ain't even living in it. And the whole point of that house, that house was allowed me to live for free because what I'm building as an extension, I was going to put that thing on Airbnb and let that profits either allow me to live for free or very, 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 very cheap. So, but instead I'm paying all this money in mortgage fees, all this money in storage fees. You know, I'm going to hear it. I pretty much fluctuate between my parents' house and my Airbnb when it's not booked this whole time until this house gets fixed. But it's like, luckily for me, I've always been that person to save because if I did it, it would be a completely I'll different be. situation right now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that, but that's another major gem for anybody getting involved in entrepreneurship because I feel like too many times we want to just jump in and not have that like them reserves if you're going to go in it full time you're going to need the reserves on because look because the thing is this the thing is this like, like I, I, I mentioned it before like I feel like I'm a different breed like for a lot of people if you like your 9 to 5 use, you let that continue to invest in all this stuff you need a side hustle for sure you need to have some kind of thing on the side. But if you love your nine to five, keep that thing as long as you can. For me, I never liked working like that. So I had to get out. There was always that burning thing inside of me, even when I would switch jobs, like, this ain't for you long term. And it got really, really bad these past couple of years. <laughs> so I was like, for me, I had to get out, even if, because my ideal situation was the stuff that I've been doing on the side that makes about as much money as I was making at my job. And then I'll be fine to go. But it didn't happen that way. I just like, like I said, 
the money wasn't there as I would have liked. And then all of a sudden, you know, I got kind of like jumped out with or laid off through the other job. So kind of like sparked it. But like for me, it is what it is. It is what I have to do. You know, my mom sometimes like, hey, you, you, you want to get a job? This is like, nah, I have a good feeling that something's about to change for me really, really soon. And I just got to continue to push through this journey deal. Trust and the process, my brother. I have to, because like for me, the biggest thing is like, I have to have this freedom because once this thing pops, like I believe it will, like there's no amount of money I would have been making at 09 to 5 that's about to, you know, generate what I've done so far. You know what I mean? So, you know, I have the networks. I've, I've, I've laid the foundations. I've made the investments. You know, 2021, that's where the money resides. That's what they say, right? The money resides. I love it. We're going to have my brother back coming to us whenever he reaps the fruits of the, the groundwork that you lay. I love this, man. But, okay, so, you know, man, we're going to pivot to the last segment of the show, my brother. So we're going to ask you, man, what's on your timeline? What's something you've seen on social media, something you post, anybody else post, they just want to speak on, my brother? Man, I almost want to look at, because, <laughs> um, let's see. I mean, the most thing that kind of like popped into my head right now, someone was talking about purses, like Coach Purse and uh, uh, Michael Kors and stuff like that. And pretty much saying that that ain't real luxury and this, this, and that. And it's like, first of all, if someone can afford it, and if they liked it, allow them to be happy. Allow them to, like, why are you shaming that? And you know how Twitter is when you post stupid stuff like that, they find they found the girl wearing a coach purse earlier. So it's like, come on, you can't, you can't be hypocritical. But I kind of want to say that to say this, like, for example, for me, you know, I like to wear Birkenstocks. People love to try to clown me for that, but it is what it is. Like, this is what I like to wear. It's comfortable. You know, like they need to go ahead and sponsor me. <laughs> they need to save me some Birkenstocks. But, you know, for me, it's just like you have to allow people to be happy. Like you can't always want to like judge people or just because they ain't doing what you expect them to do because it's not you. Mm-hmm. It's not going to work for them. Like let people be happy. Let people be happy. Or, and even one, okay. No, actually, no, let, let's talk about this one. What was it? That guy sleep, sleep is for suckers. I and mean, he's like, he said that they about, I hope your job fires you this pandemic. So you can I, start. I think I see that. So I actually know his, I know one of his good friends. Um, he was like one of my like mentors. And uh, when I seen that, I was like, things like that don't trigger me, but I kind of see what he was saying. And I knew what he was saying, but he said it for his target audience. Mm-hmm. But, you know, unfortunately, it's all, about, it's all about exposure. It doesn't matter how the news comes about, mm-hmm. it's that reaction. So everybody's talking about it. And so even though he was talking to his audience, people that it wasn't meant for, they get offended. They're talking about it. They're getting on him about it. But all in all, I feel like it was a good tactic for him because I'm sure his following went up. He got more clients to his, you know, his. his I know his group probably jumping. Yeah, somebody. It's it's crazy, like how you said though. Like I think that's a a major message for anybody too. Like letting people be happy. You see that shit on social media. You see everybody on internet. Like everybody doing their own thing. We all living our own lives. Like what he's saying. Okay, I hope you get fired and you got to start a business. Obviously, that's not for everybody. Not everybody's going to succeed in a business. Right, absolutely. But, like, if you see this shit, move the fuck on with your day. <laughs> like, it's not like it's going to impact you. It's not like your boss going to fire you because he read this post. <laughs> yeah, like, go get the fuck on somewhere. <laughs> but, yeah, it's crazy. Like I said, with him, it's one of those things where it's like, 
people just like that shock value, right? Mm-hmm. And it works every time. <laughs> it works every time. Unfortunately, I've kind of like got caught up in that stuff with like some of the tweets I've had in the past. But in general, I don't really like kind of like get involved with that. So, yeah, for me. You done went viral on Twitter a couple of times with a couple of opinions. <laughs> I've <done> seen you. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, yeah, Twitter can keep playing with me. They keep deleting my accounts. But yeah. They still take you out the paint like that? Yeah. So, I mean, I had to, I'm on my, well, you know, a lot of them ended up getting suspended. So I can't use the Twitter app for my personal account. I have to use like some Matthew IP address bullshit. Somebody got a vendetta out against you, bro. They've been reporting you or something. What, what it is, I honestly believe Twitter ain't got no black people that understand black vernacular. Cause there's no, like the reasons why I've got suspended on Twitter doesn't make any sense. Just because I say, like, it's literally because of me talking with black vernacular is a reason why I got suspended. While you have these people telling you, I hope you kill yourself and all this other stuff, they're still fine. Me saying, I mean, I ain't gonna say it on here, but like me saying, you know, black, you know, stuff we will say yeah. that mean something like really a bad thing. They're gonna take you out of the pain for that. So, yeah, one day I'm gonna probably see Jack and uh, <laughs> give him a piece of your mind. Yeah, yeah he's like, well, bro, you're gonna have to lock my account or something, but yeah. <laughs> Hey, so well, Maydu, man, we appreciate you so much for coming on the podcast, my brother. This has been a great episode. I thank you for coming on and sharing your story with the people. Could you please tell them where they can find you on social media, even though they're blocking you on Twitter and shit? (laughs) How they can tap in with your products, your different brands. If they want to learn more about the the Black Seed Fund, just let them know how they can get involved, bro. Yeah, so I'm pretty much uh, or I have everything set up, so. Social media, Instagram at Money Madu, Twitter at Real Money Madu. With everything Black Seed, uh, I have it under at Black Seed Group. So, like, if you want to buy like my book, it's on Amazon and other bookstores. But that's ten reasons why you're living senseless, and that's what C E N T S L E S L E S S. And um, yeah, and then most of the stuff. So I just got a new website. So if you go to moneymadu.com, you would literally be able to see everything that I'm able to provide to you. Uh, as value. So I do you know, obviously consultations. I have, you know, the book, I have a planner that I'm coming out with. Ooh, <laughs> uh, that's know, I, I have a rental property course. So if you're trying to buy your first rental property, I have a course, uh, I believe it's $97 right now. I have a certification program that I'm about to launch next week. So if you want to get level one certified through Black Seed, that'll be out released out next week. So, and I have a, if you want to learn how to build your own brand, I have a course for that. And you can find all of that at blackseauniversity.com yeah and then like for example you know we did the black sea summit this year and uh in the middle of a panoramic as uh uh, gunner would like to say (laughs) and uh, it was wildly successful i I can't even complain like that's probably one of the smoothest things i've ever been a part of and um you know the replay of that is available at blackseauniversity.com but you know i appreciate everybody that actually came out and you know we had over 70 people come to houston for that back in August saying, you know, obviously we're going to do that again next year. But yeah, the stuff with that, uh, BlackSeaUniversity.com. And yeah, pretty much all the stuff that you need from me, you can find it at either my personal site, which I just had fixed up like last week, uh, MoneyMadu.com or the BlackSeaGroup.com. That's where you can find most of the my stuff. But man, we appreciate you so much for coming on. Y'all make sure y'all tap in with my brother. He is giving out so much value. It's ridiculous, man. Once again, bro, thank you for coming on. Before we wrap this thing up, hop into a couple of house cleaning items. 
Uh, as always, y'all, thank y'all for tuning in week in and week out. Y'all continue to give us feedback. Let us know what y'all liking, what y'all not liking. We want to make sure we give y'all the best show possible. Y'all tapping with our book, Manage Your Money, like the 1%. Step-by-step guide to managing your money, getting your finances right. Also, check out our course, Credit Fundamentals. We still got that out. That's been going pretty well, helping people understand the basics and the the principles behind building and maintaining your credit so that you don't have to go do credit repair and get your shit sent off and all that. We're going to get you right. But, um... Kelly, man, you got anything? I do not. Man. Keep rocking with us. Again, like, comment, subscribe. Let us know exactly what you want to hear, who you want on the podcast. If you like it, if you dislike it, what do you like oh, about it? Oh, oh, oh. Donations. <laughs> now go ahead, click that link. We're going to start putting links in the bottom. Y'all get them donations. But uh, with that said, this is Black Wolf Renaissance signing out. Peace. I got money on my mind. I'm just trying to get some dough. I ain't picking up my lot unless it's money on the phone. Gotta get it on the daily. All I want is dubs. You know what I'm on. I've been chasing after paper. All I know is run money marathon. I switched to Boost Mobile and got a free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone. Want to know the best part? Uh, it was free? Nope. The fact that it's on America's largest 5G networks? Nope. It's the ding. Oh, yeah. Love the ding. Right? It's all about the ding. It's the dingarooski, the dingarona, the ring-a-ding-ding. Unleash your power to save with Boost. Get a free Samsung Galaxy A23 5G phone when you switch. Boost Mobile. Unleash your power. And the ding. Limited time offer. New customers only. Available on select networks. 5G not available everywhere. One device per line. Tax excluded. Additional restrictions apply. See your local Boost Mobile store for details. When something happens to your kitchen, you might say, This is ludicrous. But that won't fix your home. That will only get you the rapper, Ludicrous. Having trouble? Don't panic. Don't be alarmed. You need to file a claim? Holla at State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. You can file a claim on the app or call us. Thanks, Mr. Chris. No matter how ludicrous the situation, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois.